If you would please uh, turn in your Bibles to Luke 8. We're going to be looking at Luke 8, starting with verse 40. Um, I want to start by uh, uh, pointing out, letting you know, um, I'm doing something that I've, I don't think I've ever done before. I'm actually preaching a sermon that I have preached previously. I don't think I've ever done that before. It's possible. But I tell you that um, for one reason in particular. And that's because last week when I preached it, I was out um, at Christ Community in Springville. And um, I knew I was going to be preaching this sermon about uh, the problem of fear. And Jesus' words, do not fear, only believe. I knew I was going to be bringing my own fears with me into the pulpit and my own need to believe and my own struggle to believe. And I knew that there were going to be people in front of me who were struggling with the same things and probably had some of the same fears and maybe even worse fears. But afterwards, I was told that um, after I had, and you'll see the significance of this if you don't already know, after this passage, I was told that uh, uh, one of the families that was there had actually at one point in time lost a 12-year-old daughter. And, um, and then I was told that another family was uh, unimaginably struggling with uh, making ends meet. And um, I tell you that, that so that you will know that if you hear this sermon, that not only do I, yes, want to preach and read and talk about these things with the authority of God's uh, holy and inerrant word, but hopefully with um, a dose of uh, understanding and compassion. So um, we're going to read and then we're going to pray that that would be the case. Luke 8, verse 40. I'm not going to read all the way through 56. I'm just going to read some of, the, uh, some of these verses, starting with verse 40 in Luke 8. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus's feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And then there was, you know, the story next was a woman that actually reached out and touched him. She was suffering from the discharge of blood and she reached out to touch him and she was instantly healed. And Jesus said, Jesus knew this because he said power had gone out of of him. Obviously, she's afraid, you know, that she has done something she wasn't supposed to do. And Jesus says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Verse 49. While he was speaking, someone from the ruler's house came from Jairus' house, came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus on hearing the answered, but Jesus on hearing this answered him, do not fear, only believe and she will be well. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for your holy Authoritative and inerrant word. 
And Father, I pray that my preaching would reflect it and hopefully uh, the knowledge that there are a lot of fears in this room. And Father, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, through your word, we would believe. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Another first. I don't know that I've ever started with a joke before. Jerry Seinfeld has this little bit about fear, and it's uh, based on a, uh, whether he made it up or not, I don't know. But it's a, uh, a bit about how, what people fear. And he said, the number one thing that people fear is public speaking. And then he says, the number two thing is death. And he goes, that's kind of strange. That means that at a funeral, you would rather be the person you would you'd rather be the person in the ground than the person given the eulogy. But that's what fear does, doesn't it? I mean, fear turns things upside down and on its head. It distorts reality for us so that we don't see things as they are. We don't see what is actually real and true. It causes us to do things we might not normally want to do. Listen to this quote by the author of The Life of Pi. It is a it fear is a clever, treacherous adversary. How well I know it has no decency, respects no law or convention, shows no mercy. It goes for your weakest spot, which it finds with unnerving ease. What it does is it takes us through this this hall of mirrors so that we don't see ourselves and we don't see the things around us, whether it's people or God or Jesus or the gospel. It just distorts everything for us and everything's just kind of out of whack. Now, let me stop here and say I, I, I I'm not talking about the fears that we're supposed to have. There are fears that are good fears, right? And the Bible is clear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That is a fear we are supposed to have, right? There is a fear that I am supposed to have with regards to the ways that I deal with people. I, 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 it, there is a healthy fear that I, I am not loving others, my neighbor, as I'm supposed to. Right? We all get that. There's a fear that we're not loving God and not loving neighbor the way we're supposed to. That is, those are, are, are healthy fears that we're supposed to have. These are fears that are actually, that we're addressing today and that Jesus is speaking to, that he doesn't want Jairus, and I would say us, to have. These are the fears that we're told not to have. These are the ones that are that get in the way of us loving God and loving others. I have a couple theories about fear. The first one is, is that every problem that we have involves fear. Okay, either it's the fear itself or it's going to cause fear. Either we're fearing something because we don't know what's coming, 
lying in bed awake at night. Or something has happened and it has caused us to lie awake at night. Fair enough. Second theory. I think that this do not fear, only believe is thematic throughout the entire scriptures. I think that we can start from the beginning and go all the way to the end and see this throughout scriptures, whether it's in the garden and the fear of Adam and Eve. And God actually saying, even though you have rebelled against me, I will kill an animal and clothe you in your shame. In the first shadow or the first message we get of the gospel, we see that don't fear, believe, trust me. And then you go on through and you see it even in uh, when the Israelites are freed from Egypt and they go across. I mean, think of all that they saw, all the plagues, all the supernatural wonders that they saw. And then they saw the waters parted and they crossed over on dry land and then they freak out over not having food and they think they would be better in Egypt. And what does God through Moses say to them? He says, don't fear Only believe that I will take care of you. And on and on through the Psalms. Do not fear. Or it's David responding and saying, I will not fear. Though the earth shakes and the mountains get thrown in the sea, I'm not going to fear. And then it's the prophets coming to the people of Israel saying, even though you have sinned and rebelled and you're in exile and the people that are ruling over you hate you, do not fear. Believe I am sending a king. And then it goes on and on. Of course, then you hear Jesus saying, do not fear, do not fear, do not fear. And then you get to Revelation and Jesus is speaking. I mean, speaking. And this is great. He's speaking to the church at Smyrna. And he says, I know your tribulation. I know your suffering. I know what you're going through. And he says to them, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Trust me. You will receive glory upon glory. I think this is thematic. And so since it's thematic, I think we should kind of look at it in that way. That's what we see here. We see the apex of the brokenness of humanity, the full result of sin, death in a little girl. We hear Jesus telling a father, do not fear in the call to believe. So I want us to dig down into this. And if you're a note taker, three points. We're going to look at the problem of fear, the imperative to not believe, I mean, the imperative to not fear. And then the third, we're going to look at the prescription that he gives to believe. First, the problem of fear. Before we can even look at Jesus's words, I think we need to kind of get our heads and our hearts around the problem of fear. Obviously, Jairus was afraid that his daughter would die. I mean, he He knew she was dying, and so he goes to Jesus. He's probably heard the stories about Jesus. He's heard about what he's done, his healings. And he he said, this is my hope because she's dying. So he goes and he actually um, throws himself. You can feel the urgency. throws himself on his knees. The word is implore and says, Jesus, my daughter is dying. But then she dies and some from his household come and tells him your daughter is dead. And Jesus says, don't fear. Which I think is kind of a strange thing to say. 
if you stop and think about it. I mean, instinctively we know it's a smart thing to say. But it's kind of a strange thing to say because the thing that he feared has already happened, right? One of my favorite books is um, A Grief Observed by uh, C.S. Lewis. And I've actually read it just recent in the past year, uh, at least once, maybe twice after my father passed away. And he has this statement, C.S. Lewis. He writes, no one ever told me grief felt so much like fear. We know instinctively what's going on. We know the fears that he has, right? The fears of no more hugs and kisses, no more, no more smiles, no more greetings at the door when he comes home. All those fears are probably washing over him in that moment when he has just heard the thing that he feared the most, that his daughter is dead. Fear was probably taking over. We get it, don't we? I mean, we fear death. We fear the death of our loved ones. But there's so many other things that we fear, right? I mean, we fear what people think of the way we look, which is a whole industry of fear. We fear the way our kids look. We fear that we, we, we've got to dress our kids a certain way so that they will be accepted at school by the right people. And so we fear. And we fear the dark. We fear light exposing weakness. We fear losing our jaws. We fear our 401k not being enough. We fear the ingredients in our food. We fear, uh, we fear our past kind of catching up with us. And we fear our future kind of coming a little bit too quickly, don't we? We fear loneliness, obscurity, and failure. And in the face of that, Jesus says, do not fear. Don't be afraid. Now, I anticipate, at least I felt it when I first was studying this, the temptation to think, but, you know, she was raised soon after and she kind of got a clue. I mean, Jairus kind of got a clue of that when he said she will be well. Jesus told Jairus, don't fear, she will be well. Now, there's two reasons why I think we, that, that, that doesn't stop us from going in the direction that we need to go. I'll tell you one now and one later. The first is, is that the imperative of do not be afraid is not just contextual here. It is a consistent message of Jesus. Let not your hearts be troubled nor let them be afraid. After he is risen, do not fear those. That was after he, he is risen. Before, he says, do not fear those who kill the body. Fear not, for you are of more value than sparrows. And of course, he tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, don't be anxious about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear or what's coming next. Don't be afraid of being without the things that you feel like you need. The imperative is common to Jesus. It's common to God the Father throughout the Scriptures. We've already seen that. Whether it's in the Psalms, the Prophets. Telling us over and over and over again, do not fear. It's very common. But the problem is, is it's not really common everywhere else, is it? The imperative to not fear is really almost singular to Jesus. Our, our culture, our, the world we live in, seems calculated 
to make us fear. Outside of God, almost every voice in our lives seems to be calculated to make us afraid. Except for those voices that have the Holy Spirit in them telling us not to be afraid. I mean, every commercial that we watch, right? Be afraid of this. I was watching a commercial for a, 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 some medicine the other night. Me and my wife were watching a, a TV show and there was a commercial for medicine. And it talks about the benefits for about two seconds. And then it talk, and then over all these happy people, it talks about you could die this kind of death or this kind of death or this kind. Of, I mean, not only was the medicine to get you to so that you would not fear the thing that you would fear if you weren't taking the medicine. But then the rest of the message was you need to fear these things if you take this medicine. Which was odd. Every I mean, think about the TV shows that we watch. You know, I mean, if you watch enough Law and Order, you're going to fear everybody in your life. All right. Or CSI Miami or please don't watch that. Every, I mean, documentaries that say, eat this, don't eat this, eat this, don't eat this, drink this, don't drink this. I mean, they're constantly getting us to fear something. The news is a market of fear. If you don't know this already, go look at the news. They are giving you pieces of news so that you will be afraid. So you will think you need to go back and get other pieces of news. So you will be afraid. So you will go back and get and over and over again. Politicians and activists, your employer, your teachers, possibly your friends and family are saying, well, you need to be afraid of this. I mean, I mean, you know, we kind of laugh about the old emails that our parents used to send us, those of us that are younger, that, you know, everything is going to cause cancer. You know, everything is going to do this. You know, be careful of needles and this. And remember those emails we used to get before there was social media. But it's true. We are surrounded by this symphony of fear and into it, Jesus tells us in the face of the culmination, again, the apex of our fears, death, he tells us, do not fear. And then he says to us through Jairus, believe, only believe. Now, when he tells Jairus, only believe, I asked myself the question, I said, now, what is it that he wants him to believe at that moment? Obviously, that she will be made well. Obviously, that's the case. But I, I put myself as a parent of an 11 year old daughter in that in that moment. And. You know, Jairus has gone to Jesus for a few reasons, right? He's gone to him because he's heard that he's powerful, correct? He can he has the power to heal people. So that, you know, that's kind of, you know, he's he's already believing that. Right. And he's also gone to him, obviously, because he believes Jesus is good and merciful. Right. So, you know, you wouldn't go to somebody who was powerful if you didn't. Maybe if you were desperate enough, but generally you would go because you think they're good, that they would be merciful to you, that they would actually listen to you when you say to them, I need you to do this for me. Um, so I put myself in the place of Jairus, or at least tried to. And um, we've spent enough moments, me and my wife have, in the ER and with our kids hooked up to uh, EKGs and 
all the other kinds of tests that they do, the EEGs and CAT scans. and um, We've been through all that at least once, if not twice. Worried about our children. That grief and that fear just surges. A number of months ago, I, uh, I actually put this on Facebook. I, I, this, and this was like six months ago. I put, do not fear, only believe. And then I put, dash, the king of the universe. I'll tell you why I put that. But the reaction that I got from one person is actually a friend of ours. And this friend of ours, they have a son who has a disease that only about two dozen other people have in the entire world. And she wrote, I mean, with all kindness, kindest person, she wrote, but it's hard. Because it is hard. It's very hard. Jesus probably understands the hardness to believe that even Jairus would have had in that walk back to his home. Because the story keeps going, right? And he, they walk back to Jairus' home. And I'm sure the struggle to believe for Jairus was very sharp. It was acute for him to actually be able to believe that Jesus could make her well. And that Jesus is saying something good to him in the midst of this. He's walking back to his house. His legs are probably not working very well. I think Jesus understands that struggle to believe. But he says it anyway. So what does he want Jairus to believe? I think, again, he wants him to believe that she will be well. That Believe what you believed before she died. That I have power and that I am good and merciful. Trust me in the midst of this unimaginable problem. The scriptures do not tell us what Jairus is thinking, but we kind of know, right? We kind of know what's going through because we've stood over caskets. We've been in places of grief before. We've wept over bad news. We've had uh, dreams crash right there in front of us. Sometimes it's not just the death of a loved one. Sometimes it's the, it's the death of a lifestyle or the death of a dream. Or the death of a friendship. And again, we're, we're, we're kind of tempted to go, but yes, he gets, Jairus gets his daughter back almost immediately, right? And the problem and the thing that he fears gets reversed very quickly. Which, I don't know about you, but that doesn't happen to me very often. That the thing that I wanted to happen, the good thing that I wanted to happen to overcome the problem, doesn't get reversed usually very quickly. Oftentimes there's a lot of waiting or I know that I must wait until Jesus returns or until we're made whole. But see, this is, we have to remember, this is not Jairus's biggest problem, is it? That's the temptation. Jesus will actually solve a much greater problem for him very soon. Jairus doesn't know yet about the cross. He's only got shadows. We'll get the whole view. 
You see, when we deal with tragedy, we deal with it knowing our greatest problem has been fixed. When difficulty comes and we have reason to fear, we can remind ourselves that our greatest problem has been solved. Think about it. The great problem of our sin and our rebellion against God has been dealt with by Jesus on the cross, which Jairus doesn't know about yet. And so we can face that knowing our problem of of needing salvation has actually been given to us. We have actually we now because of our belief and our trust in the gospel of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. We can stand before God saying, I am justified. I stand before God just as if I'd done all that was required of me and just as if I had never sinned. And God looks at us and accepts us because of the righteousness of Christ actually credited to us. And so now positionally, we are accepted by God and loved by him because of what Jesus has done in the gospel. And this is where our understanding gets a little mixed up. Part of it's probably because we have a lot of comfort in our lives. We have a lot of props in our life that... Take away suffering and our problems. Difficulty and struggle become an aberration. The gospel is meant to be such good news that all other possible pieces of good news are insignificant in comparison. This means that for Matt Redmond standing here in front of you, all the things that I fear... All the difficulties that I face as a as a person who works and as a parent and as one who is every day getting a little bit older. All the good news that would reverse any of my fortunes are supposed to pale in comparison to the good news of the gospel. Jairus' daughter getting raised is good news, but it's not the gospel. The temptation is to believe that all the little things that God does for us are our salvation. The fight is to believe that all the echoes, and that's what those are. For, for, for Jairus, the raising of his daughter was like a reverse echo. Before the cross, it was pointing forward to the real sound of God's great work. But when we see healing and when we see little pieces of good news that reverse our fortune, maybe struggling financially and you get a raise that makes it so you're actually living paycheck to paycheck, if that's the issue. Or maybe a bad diagnosis gets gets reversed into a good one. All those are echoes pointing backwards to the sound Of what Christ has done on the cross. All those pieces of good news are meant to point to what God has done in Jesus for us. Remember how I said fear turns things upside down. And so the fear that those problems will not get reversed. Turn what could possibly be good news into false gospels. So. We must remind ourselves of the good news of what Christ has done for us 
and for all eternity, dealing the death blow to all that we fear. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the good news of our salvation in Jesus, the justifying work of the cross. And Father, I pray that you would put it before us in a way that it is, if not easy, at least easier for us to buy into the idea that that is the greatest possible news we could ever get. Father, help us believe that to be true. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.